out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. For today's show, stay tuned to hear more about the Keystone oil pipeline spill that occurred December 8th in Washington County, Kansas. Listeners are probably aware that the Washington County, Kansas spill was the largest Keystone pipeline spill anywhere in the United States to date. We at Eco Radio KC believe it was only a matter of time before the large spill occurred and that more spills are likely. Some might be larger and closer to areas in which people live. This is because the Keystone Pipeline transports tar sands and abrasive caustic oil sludge from Alberta, Kansas, where it is mined to refineries in the southern United States. Although the expansion of the Keystone Project is abandoned, the Keystone Pipeline system continues to operate over 1,300 miles miles of pipeline in the United States. We at Eco Radio KC are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to assure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present for a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. But first, here's some environmental news for the week of December 19, 2022. Democracy Now! reports, a major milestone in nuclear fusion technology has ignited hopes that the breakthrough could help lead to a clean energy future. Researchers successfully achieved net energy gain through fusion ignition, generating more power than is used to create the reaction. Unlike fission, which is currently used by nuclear power plants, fusion does not produce long lasting nuclear waste or carbon emission. However, scientists say it will likely be decades before the technology is perfected enough to begin producing energy at scale. The experiment is likely to more immediately benefit the U.S. military and its nuclear weapon arsenal. Inside Climate News reports, in the Horn of Africa, a climate change-induced drought is exposing cracks in the global food system and pushing humanitarian aid to a breaking point. EcoWatch reports, in September of 2020, the smoke from the major wildfires in California made the sky so dark that the state's solar power production was reduced by 10 to 30 percent during the peak hours, according to a National Center for Atmospheric Research NCAR study. As public pressure to act on climate crisis increases, more and more companies, governments, and nonprofits are making misleading claims about the sustainability of their operations, a tactic commonly known as greenwashing. However, as greenwashing is becoming more common, people are also getting better at spotting it. EcoBusiness published its list of 18 entities called out for greenwashing in 2022, up from 11 examples in 2021. They pointed to several high-profile cases. HSB, the bank, was forced to end an ad campaign in Britain after 
after a ruling that it was misleading because it, it promoted the bank's tree planting efforts without acknowledging its fossil fuel investments. H&M, the fast fashion brand, was sued twice this year for charging more for items misleading label as more environmentally friendly. There were other greenwashing lawsuits this year that the eco-business did not pick up on, according to Truth in Advertising. Household cleaner company Ecos faces a class action lawsuit claiming its supposedly safe and eco-friendly products contain harmful ingredients, while Kirkland Albacore Tuna is being sued over misleading dolphin safe claims, and Whole Foods is being sued over sustainability claims despite its wasteful packaging, among others. Researchers at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, have developed an ultra-thin and scalable solar cell that can attach to any surface. Despite weighing one-hundredth of a conventional solar cell, the newly developed lightweight solar cell provides around 18 times more power per kilogram. With its latest leak of nearly 600,000 gallons in northern Kansas, the sprawling Keystone Pipeline system has now spilled more crude oil in the United States than any other pipeline, according to a new analysis by Bloomberg, including last week's spillage of roughly 14,000 barrels of crude, a threat to the environment, drinking water, and public health. The pipeline system that runs from Alberta Alberta, Kansas to Texas has leaked 26,000 barrels of toxic substance in the United States over the past 12 years. Bloomberg noted Monday, citing preliminary data from the Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration. Now, our show. This is Terry Wilkie, and I'm talking with Kellen Ashford. He's of the Region 7 EPA office and currently deployed as the Keystone Pipeline Public Information Officer. Hi, Kellen. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm doing very well, and I'm very grateful for your time. You and I talked on two occasions before this recording, and this is keeping you pretty busy, isn't it? Very busy. Um, you know, I started uh, answering inquiries both uh, both within the office and from the media. Probably uh, last Thursday, uh, last Thursday morning, December eighth, uh, very early, um, and you know, worked throughout that Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday and on Sunday I actually got the call to go to the scene so I packed up my bag hopped in hopped in the truck and and drove out to uh you know near near Washington Kansas uh to be able to better assist the team responding to the to the scene there well and you're lucky last week it had warm weather it's this is soon going to change again it's Kansas after all but let's take it from the top so okay there has been a Keystone Pipeline spill, and who owns the Keystone Pipeline in Washington County, Kansas? Yeah, so the segment um, where the the pipeline ruptured is owned by TC Energy. And that's a Canadian corporation, correct? That's correct. Okay. And so what has happened, there has been a rupture in their pipeline in Washington County, 
And it happened on, well, December 7th is when the pipeline alerts went off, correct? That's correct. And then I have the EPA's press release before today, which is already five days old. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was saying that there were fewer than 600,000 gallons of oil spilled. What is the statement today? Yeah, so I just want to let you uh, and the listeners know that um, EPA, uh, we have put together a a story map website. It's a a visualization um, of sort of our response metrics uh, that we we keep up to date. Um, And as of yesterday, uh, we we have recovered 582,834 gallons of oil water mixture has been recovered from Mill Creek. Well, how many gallons have been spilled? Does TC know that, TC Energy? You know, the original estimate that was put out by TC Energy, and let me uh, make sure this is correct, that on December 8th, at 4.40 p.m., TC Energy released a statement that they estimated the release volume to be 14,000 barrels. There are 50 gallons in a barrel, at least. I, I don't know how many gallons are in a barrel. but uh, So it does become confusing when we are one minute talking about gallons and the next minute talking about barrels. But that is correct and i would like to to let everyone know um that the epa you know we are working to report in gallons um and so on our response metrics website we have really worked to uh, make sure that our data is reported in gallons and not barrels um and You know, since we are working with TC Energy and a unified command structure for this response, um, they are posting updates every morning. um, And they post both, uh, well, they don't post both, but they are posting barrels of oil recovered from the creek. Now then, this creek is Mill Creek in Washington County, Kansas, correct? That's correct. And that's on the Nebraska border. And Very close to the Nebraska border. The, well, the county edge is the Nebraska border. And yep. it's 200 miles northwest of Overland Park, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's out there. Uh, if uh, the listeners aren't, aren't aware, you know, it's about a three-hour drive from the Kansas City metro area. It's in a rural site, this rupture, correct? Very, very rural uh, farmland. If you would be so good as to read the most recent EPA press release and give us the site for this metric, if that's available to listeners. Yeah, so let me give you the site first. um, And I'm going to give the listeners the exact URL. I'll spell it out for everyone. um, And I'll go ahead and email it to you so you have that and can post it. Um, so that is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash ARCG dot I S forward slash 
514ZB. And that is what we are calling our story map, which includes visuals. It includes uh, a little bit uh, of a description of our current response activities, uh, the response overview, um, pictures as we can get it, um, planned response activities, wildlife assessment activities, uh, some contact information, and a response metrics page where there is an interactive map. Uh, there is a counter that counts the total number of personnel responding to the site, as well as oil water mixture recovered from the creek, as I mentioned earlier, that we are reporting in gallons. Well, good on you. And so you were going to provide me the most recent press release. I, I have one, as I said, five days ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that is still our current most recent update. Um, you know, that went out on Thursday, December 15th. Um, and, you know, we were really working to make sure that the story map link, uh, which is the URL that I just read off, and I emailed that to you as well. Um, we're really working to get that story map updated and uploaded so we can really have a central resource that we will continue funneling data updates to. So people interested in finding the most up-to-date information have a central source where they can find that information reported from the EPA. Right. Well, thank you for that. So um, I will put that link on the episode webpage okay. for all our listeners. And so this December 15th press release says that EPA Region 7 on-scene coordinators and one public information officer, mm -hmm. that's you, are on-scene at the pipeline rupture and oil discharge near Washington, Kansas. The on-scene coordinators are monitoring the cleanup activities being performed by TC Energy. And the public information officer is working with TC Energy public information officers to ensure that the public remains informed of all actions taking place on the scene. So TC Energy crews have built a second earthen underflow dam to provide structural relief to the earthen underflow dam that was constructed last week. The press release says no additional oil impacts or oil migrations have occurred since the last EPA news update. And there are approximately 317 personnel on scene from EPA, TC Energy, Kansas Department of Health and Environment, and local agencies. And that response crews had recovered a little over 2,000 barrels of oil water mixture from Mill Creek with 435 barrels of oil recovered directly from the ruptured pipeline. So that's a total of two and a half thousand barrels recovered from the scene. So, yeah, and so Terry, uh, if you don't mind, I can actually read a more recent update um, that was uh, posted last Thursday. Um, the one you gave me was posted last Tuesday. Okay. Um, so, so if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and read that for the listeners. Sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So last Thursday, December 15th, 2022, 
Unseen coordinators and a public information officer from EPA Region 7 continue to remain on scene at the pipeline rupture and oil discharge scene near Washington, Kansas. Response crews continue the focus on cleanup and recovery operations in Mill Creek, and additional equipment such as heated skimmers, diaphragm pumps, and additional frack tanks are in route to the scene. Response crews are also preparing for colder weather that may impact oil recovery. On December 14th, a total of 414 personnel reported to the scene. This number includes personnel from EPA, the U.S. Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, state and local agencies, TC Energy, and TC Energy contractors. At that time, response crews had recovered 233,814 gallons of oil water mixture from Mill Creek, and that equates roughly to 5,567 barrels. Response crews also recovered 5,000 cubic yards of oil-contaminated soil and nine cubic yards of oily solids. Response statistics indicate that four deceased mammals had been recovered, along with 71 deceased fish. Wildlife assessment crews are continuing their assessment observations of impacted wildlife. All deceased and impacted wildlife are being assessed by biologists with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. EPA has received numerous inquiries about the nature of the oil that was discharged from the ruptured pipeline. The material discharged from the ruptured pipeline was diluted bitumen, a heavy crude oil. And that was the, uh, the response uh, update that we posted on Thursday, December 15th. Right. Thank you for that, Kellen. Now, I understand that the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, an arm of Department of Transportation, has issued corrective action orders with respect to this spill. Is that correct? It is my understanding that um, that PIMSA, the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration. Oh, that's how you say it, PIMSA. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it can be a little tricky. Um, but it's my understanding that they are working with uh, TC Energy um, sort of on these corrective action orders. Right. Well, that's their most stringent type of response to a spill like this. And just one more question for you, Kellen. Yeah. Does anybody have any idea how this rupture occurred? You know, I can speak, um, you know, speak that uh, we as EPA personnel, we have been on scene with the FEMSA personnel and they are actively investigating um, the incident in order to best determine, uh, really make a determination uh, using their expertise as uh, sort of the pipeline experts as to what, you know, what caused this rupture um, that really isn't my or EPA's focus. Our focus is on containment of the oil and ensuring that the cleanup of the oil is performed by the crews there. Um, and in really any sort of questions and or statements about what 
caused or what may have caused the pipeline rupture would really best be answered by someone who works for the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration. Or PHMSA, the Pipeline (laughs) and Hazardous Material Safety Administration, right? Well, Callan Ashford, I want to thank you very much for being on Eco Radio KC. You are the public information officer assigned to the Keystone Pipeline rupture in Washington County, Kansas. Thank you for being on our radio program. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. KKFI is listening, and your feedback helps to inform our decisions on current and future programming. It's important for your voice to be heard. So let us know what you think about our programming by going online and filling out the KKFI listener survey at kkfi.org survey. The only event this week is the winter solstice on Wednesday, December 21st. From then, days will grow longer. To all our listeners, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and happy Kwanzaa. My name is Phil Bauer. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. This is Terry Wilkie. I'm going to talk now with Zach Pastora. Listeners, regular listeners will have heard from Zach before. He is the state of Kansas legislative lobbyist for the Sierra Club chapter of Kansas. And um, how are you doing, Zach? I'm doing very good. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank you for being on Eco Radio. And the reason I reached out to you is you gave a really eloquent statement, Sierra Club statement, in response, an immediate response to the pipeline spill. Can you kind of tell our listeners what that statement says? Well, sure, and I'll, I'll say that uh, I, I'm not sure about eloquent, uh, but I was glad to um, respond to what I consider a pretty uh, terrible uh, tragedy as far as an environmental disaster there in Washington County, Kansas. I basically said the uh, same thing I still feel today, uh, about 12 days later after the um, disaster um, is that it's a it's a shame that the Keystone Pipeline has failed us once again and once again here in Kansas um, this is the sixth time now that the the pipeline has spilled in Kansas Um, but this particular spill uh, is worse than I think many people thought in the sense that it's bigger than all the previous spills combined the Keystone Pipeline went into operation in 2010, and since then, it had 22 spills prior to this one in Washington County, which is right on the uh, border of Kansas and Nebraska, uh, kind of the north central or uh, just uh, west of the northeastern region here of, of the Kansas City Metro. Um, you know, we just feel for the community affected. Uh, you can imagine you wake up and the next day going outside, you smell these horrendous fumes. Uh, smell like uh, you might recognize it as oil, but it might have been so powerful you might not known it was uh, oil spill. And then you see all the emergency vehicles and heavy equipment trucks going on your your little uh, uh, town roads and your country roads uh, to the spill site. 
and just uh, in a matter of hours, uh, you got hundreds of people, almost a quarter of the air, uh, the town's population showing up to respond to this emergency. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll pause there, but you can imagine and think in your own minds about how just uh, something we take for granted, like um, uh, infrastructure or uh, uh, utility, um, this pipeline had been around, but it had only been catching people's attention when it finally burst and spilled 14,000 barrels, as far as we know, of, uh, of uh, heavy-duty tar sands oil into the Mill Creek and on the countryside there. Thank you for that. Zach, I want to share with the listeners, <clears throat> I put it in a bold font. I, I think this is so well-written. The situation is certainly distressing for the community and the ecosystem impacted in Washington, Kansas. Yet there are even more devastating social and environmental damages happening every day around Kansas, the United States, and the world associated with oil and gas production. Whether it's the burning of fossil fuels polluting the atmosphere and worsening climate change, the increased cancer risk for frontline communities near refineries, habitat destruction from resource extraction, or contaminated water supplies from fracking. Sadly, people will continue to suffer the consequences of oil and gas dependency, spills, pollution, price spikes, and more, until we fully transition to a safer and more equitable society free of fossil fuels. That, that's, those are very powerful words. It kind of, it's one thing to say, okay, there's this pipeline in Kansas and it broke and oh heck, there go 14,000 barrels of oil. But the people need to understand that oil in itself is hazardous. It's slick for transportation, for example, and this was involving roads, highways, uh, in Washington, Kansas. It goes into the water. It's difficult to extract. It goes into the soil, kills all the microbes, smothers everything out. It's poison, kills wildlife, potentially pollutes people. You talked about the foul smell. Everyone needs to understand that this is oil, but it is, as our EPA spokesperson said, bitumen. So Alberta, Canada, Darnell said Alberta, Kansas, but no, no. This is coming from Alberta, Canada, which is near the coast of the United States, far up north. And the Alberta tar sands are low-lying lands that just sort of seep oil, kind of like an oil puddle, if you would, only hundreds of acres of them, and nothing really grows there. So Canada is full of forest. There are no trees in the Alberta tar sands. Nothing can grow in this oil, and given that we have extracted all the oil that we can easily extract from other places on the planet or at a cost that the oil companies feel is reasonable. There has been a big move for many years to get oil from the sands, from the tar sands in Canada. Now, 
you can't run sand down a pipeline, but they do put a solvent in it to make it flow. And so the consistency of this stuff is, I've seen it described as rather like peanut butter. And it's oil and abrasive sand. That is very hard to contain. What I said on Eco Radio Casey's Facebook page the same day I saw news of the break was, well, it was just a matter of time. The Keystone Pipeline has been breaking all over everywhere, certainly. It's broken many times in Kansas, but this is the largest break in the United States to date. And I'm glad to have you on so that everybody can really understand the importance of what has happened here. The Friends of of the Car issued a statement It's important to understand that the oil spilled into Mill Creek, which drains into the Little Blue River and onto the Big Blue River, where its waters are held in Tuttle Creek Reservoir before moving into the Kansas River, which of course moves into the Missouri River. And there is really no way that the tar sands, the bitumen, is heavier than water and so it sinks into the waterway it pollutes the waterway it doesn't float on the top you can't use skimmers on it in large part and so this potentially pollutes the water that we use to drink to go skiing to go fishing there won't be any fish there now that it's full of oil or they'll be curious looking fish. So I want everybody to understand the great seriousness of this event. It was just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, no, thank you for for pointing those things out, uh, Terry. I'll just say that it could have been a lot worse. Uh, We're we're lucky that uh, and fortunate that uh, the pipeline got shut down as, as quickly as it did um in a matter of hours as far as we know some pipeline uh, breaks don't get detected and spills don't get detected for days um immediately uh the the emergency responders um uh, created emergency dams to stop the further travel this uh oil spill and your, your your point about the tar sands uh being a a more difficult um, uh, chemical to, to clean up is an important one. Um, and it's all, as my understanding, it's only going to get tougher to clean up, uh, as it gets colder. Um, and as uh, the further amount of oxygen reacts, I mean, when it's enclosed in the pipeline with the, the solvents, it it helps it transport uh, more fluidly, uh, through the pipeline, but as it uh, sits and gets exposed, to other elements and the outside, I, my understanding gets a lot uh, uh, more difficult in sense of uh, you think of thicker, uh, more you know uh, sticky, Stiffer. et cetera. Uh-huh, um, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They travel this pipeline takes it uh, over two thousand uh, miles. I think two twenty six hundred miles from Alberta, Canada. Um, either down to through to, uh, to just Nebraska and then over to Illinois, which is kind of the upper half, 
um, or um, through, through the Cushing Extension, as they call it, which goes from um, Steel City, Nebraska, just 20 miles north of uh, this area in Washington, Kansas, and all the way down to, to Houston, essentially, so uh, to get refined down there. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a major uh, spill bigger than all the other spills in, in the United States at this Keystone Pipeline combined. And what's uh, even more troubling is it's now constitutes uh, four of the five biggest spills uh, in Keystone within the last six years. And those are the major spills. Uh, so we had one in North Dakota, I think was 4,000 and South of Dakota, 6,000 barrels. And this one is estimated to be at 14,000 barrels. And we'll see as time will and continued monitoring will tell if that number actually increases. Because oftentimes we um, can only underestimate uh, the amount of damage that is being done. So uh, there's a number of people up there on site. Uh, for, for most of the time, it was about 250 to 300 people. I've seen even reports of more than 400 people on site. And there's still a, a risk um, to people. Uh, they had some, uh, I called it a VIP meeting with some community leaders and state officials come there today. And the best that they could give them is a, kind of a drone's eye tour of the disaster uh, because they didn't want them getting close to the actual uh, spill for safety reasons. And so, you know, all of those things uh, uh, just give you the impression that this is very serious. It will still be very serious as the cleanup takes weeks, but more likely months and even possibly years. Uh, and uh, it opens up our eyes to other wider issues of, uh, of the problems dealing with oil and gas dependency. And you, you talked a little bit about that, but maybe we could talk, talk more about that um, uh, after the break. Well, you're exactly right, Zach. We're going to take a short break now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the fact that TC Energy is not cleaning this up for free. It will reflect in the price that we pay for gasoline and oil for our vehicles. And we're going to talk about the fact that, yes, they've got technology that stopped the, the flow of the brake. However, now we're just faced with trying to clean up that much sludge, oil sludge that came out. So we'll, we'll be right, right back after this, everybody. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarus, and this is Climate Connections. And we're looking for support from listeners like you. In case you didn't know, we are a listener-supported, non-commercial community radio station that is committed to reflecting the diversity of the local and world community. We seek to amplify voices and music that have been underrepresented by other media, and we can't do it without you. Please take a moment to support your community radio station by donating online at kkfi.org. Happy New Year, and thank you for listening to Kansas City Community Radio. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. On an early fall day in the North End neighborhood of Detroit, residents hopped on bikes for a guided tour of solar installations. Kids built solar-powered robots, 
played in a solar-powered bouncy house, and ate s'mores roasted in a solar oven. So people got to see solar in an operation that they never would have imagined. When you can see it, when you can know it's there, then they have a better sense of, yes, this could work for me as well. Reverend Joan Ross is founder of the North End Woodward Community Coalition, a nonprofit in the largely low-income African-American neighborhood. She says many families in her community struggle to pay electricity bills that are very high. Going solar can reduce those monthly bills. So her group informs people about solar energy, helps them assess financing options, and connects them with quality contractors. It also arranges bulk buying discounts to reduce the upfront costs of installing solar panels. Ross is determined to make sure that more people can access clean, affordable energy. To actually see these things coming to life in my community and the ways that people can embrace solar, it's really an exciting time for me. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. We're back. This is Terry Wilkie. You're listening to Eco Radio KC, and now I'm talking with Zach Pastora. He's the state lobbyist for the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club. Zach, we're talking about the Keystone pipeline break that happened just Saturday in in Washington County, Kansas. And we were just beginning to touch on the cost to the consumer. Let's see, I went and filled up my car with gas and it's pushing $3 the gallon again. And now that the Keystone Company is spending billions of dollars to, um, to get this contamination cleaned up, it's likely to keep the price of gasoline high. Would you agree? Well, uh, I'd say that almost initially when the report uh, was given that this uh, pipeline had failed in Kansas uh, some 12 days ago now, that uh, the prices uh, rise. Uh, they, they instantly increased uh, for the futures of, of the oil market. And uh, so, yes, it had a direct effect on gas prices almost immediately and the prospects for being able to not deliver the same amount of volume of oil to refineries uh, going forward is going to have uh, um, uh, uh, an unfortunate um, uh, impact on on, uh, global oil prices. Um, So... Uh, you know, I mean, we all have to deal with uh, the, the increases of, of household prices, including that at the gas pump. But also, I'd say, remember, our household energy bills went up last year um, and continue to stay uh, higher because of the winter storm, Uri. And when gas prices went through the roof there for uh, a few weeks for, for local communities and, and even to the point where the state of Kansas um, put money together for a bailout for those communities that couldn't pay their their uh, uh, gas bills. And so all this to say is that there's a continued uh, risk associated with oil and gas dependency. Um, and so we're still at the mercy of, of price spikes in, in oil and gas, whether it's for transportation or for heating, until we can find ways to um, 
reduce our dependency on oil and gas, get off of fossil fuels. They're very profit motivated. I found uh, that's a, that's a great point, Terry. Because meanwhile, as as Americans are paying more, they're making record profits, right? <laughs> They, they did during the pandemic, certainly. That's, that's very true. That's certifiable. But what I'm saying is I did a little research. I did a little digging on the FEMSA website in preparation for this interview, for this show. And, of course, they gave a detailed report on the rupture, and it tracks it mile by mile and says what broke and or it's trying to they're going to give it that okay was it an explosion of a metal pipe was it a breaking of a valve a leaking of a valve they they will have all of that in their report at their website but there was some indication to me that the flow on the pipeline had been very recently increased and so I went a little deeper on the internet and I found a Bureau of Energy report which is a private media but it's an oil and gas media in Canada and that reported on November 22nd that the Keystone flow was going to be increased and then the 7th of December it breaks the largest break they've had the highest rate of flow they've had to date, and then here is the largest break they have had to date, and I just wonder, that cannot be a coincidence. So the reason for desiring increased flow is the profits that they were making was not enough for them. If they could push more oil to the refinery, they will make more money, and that's the name of their game. And um, you're very good to talk about how we need to make change from this system. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I take your point as far as if if we're only going to increase pressure uh, of the pipeline and the Keystone pipeline was given exemption to increase that pressure uh, for what we can only think of as putting more oil down the refinery and oh yeah that's a benefit to the company that makes money off of that oil transportation etc right but you know I, I took a look at the previous accidents you know that now we're at 23 accidents of the pipeline and I mentioned the five of four of the five largest Keystone pipeline spills that occur in the last six years but if you look at that now we're still awaiting what they call a root cause failure for this pipeline incident no one can tell you exactly why it broke and i think that's really important because here uh going on 12 days um we don't know why the pipeline broke that's a pretty big question that needs to get answered when will we know the answer that's a good question but we do know the answers from the previous other major spills and what were they well, a weld for one of them had between the two pipeline segments uh, were failed and caused a leak. That was in 2016, spilled 400 barrels. A fatigue crack 
So a small hairline crack that that caused by the installation of the pipeline led to a huge uh, spill, uh, 6,500 barrels in South Dakota in 2017. And then in 2019, when they had a spill that was 4,500 barrels, uh, they thought it was because of an atypical seam from the original manufacturing of the pipe. So that tells me that if you have problems with the original manufacturing, the original design or installation way back in 2010 or 2011, and here we are, we're seeing major spills happen a, a decade uh, uh, later, um, and we can't give very much certainty on that there isn't another accident waiting to happen somewhere else on the pipeline. And like you just mentioned that we're only increasing the pipeline pressure because of exemptions. This oil sands continues to corrode the, the pipeline. And then if you throw on top of that environmental changes where we have record level uh, winter deep freeze, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, weather temperatures uh, followed by a 40 degree increase in temperature, you know, the next few weeks. It, all that's just to say, how could we expect the problems from not getting worse uh, uh, and causing uh, serious concern going forward? But yeah, you're right. We, I, you know, this is a really awful situation in Washington County. It's catching our attention and certainly eye-opening for a lot of different reasons. But let's not um, overlook the other. Uh, situations causing environmental harm. If we just zoom out, some things that are not as easy to see is the air pollution and happening kind of invisible to the naked eye. The the water contamination happen, happening daily underground where we frack using freshwater supplies of, uh, uh, and contaminate them intentionally with chemicals only to try to bring up more uh, oil and gas up to the surface, most of which is just salt water or brackish water that comes up that we have to separate the, the stuff out anyway. So all of these things go to sh um, ask the serious question as, is, is, is this really the best we can do for society and our economy in terms of, uh, of oil and gas as an energy source? So we got to squeeze these sands so extremely and refine them with uh, so much energy um, by the way, that causes air quality concerns and, and increase of cancer for those living next to the refineries, um, let alone the risk of spills and the destruction to, to the extraction site up there in Canada with the tar sands. Is that the best we can do to, to fulfill our transportation and, and building heating needs? I think we can do better. I think there's already technology out there especially homegrown technology here in Kansas and Missouri um, through either electricity or, or heat pumps or, or uh, uh, other electric vehicles. They're even exploring the potential for, for hydrogen. Of course, every sort of uh, process has its own inherent environmental pros and cons. Right. Let's right. Well, don't that forget that mass point. transit. Imagine that, Zach. Yes. yes. There <laughs> I mean, hey. There's nothing around this oil spill, but there could be a train track where people could travel and carry freight. And uh, yeah, we, we are just need to really adjust. I'm glad you asked that question because 
Even though this pipeline broke just 20 miles north of where it forks and goes across the state of Missouri, everybody, to Illinois, right across the middle of Missouri, the Keystone Pipeline carrying bitumen tar sands oil, even though this is what we have created, we don't have to stick with this. We don't have to keep pounding our head in the tar sand, as it were. We could say, well, you know, this is, this is the sign that we've got to adjust the way we behave and begin to use renewable resources and right. mass transit. And right. So, yes. uh, the, so the, the future is bright, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. The economic potential of, uh, of uh, charting a new future and I'll just say, uh, you got to appreciate Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City recently got a, um, a listed as a, a, one of the top cities uh, for making a commitment to the future as far as climate impacts go. And you mentioned transit. Uh, free fare on, on the streetcar uh, goes a long ways to helping people get around the city without having to use uh, as much fossil fuel. So, uh, Take pride in, in your uh, city, Kansas City, Missouri. We got more to do in Kansas City, Kansas, of course, and uh, and in the broader metro region. But, uh, yeah, uh, this should be eye-opening in itself, and, and we could do better uh, for our future. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, well, I think that that is a very good point to end on. It's a very sad story, the pollution in Washington County, Kansas. But it's a clear sign on the wall that we need to change the way we approach our transportation, heating, and building. We we have the smarts. We can do it. You've been listening to Eco Radio KC. I'm Terry Wilkie. I've been talking with Zach Pastora of the Sierra Sierra Club. I always kind of catch my throat on Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club. And we're talking about the pipeline spill in Washington County, Kansas. Thank you very much, Zach. Thank you. Thank you, Eco Radio. Tune in or call in to Radioactive Magazine next Tuesday evening, December 20, 6 to 6.30 p.m. to discuss Wikipedia and other Wikimedia Foundation projects with Spencer Graves, who has posted over 25,000 edits since 2010. Email your questions and comments to news at kkfi.org. We especially want your favorite quotes from famous women for the Wiki Loves Women, She Said campaign. Are you a giving person like me? Have you ever wanted to donate something big? You know that old car in the garage that you never use? KKFI wants that. Donate to KKFI's Vehicles for Charity program and help support 90.1 FM while also finding a new home for that old car. Give us a call at 816-931-3122 and ask for a bill. Or you can just visit us at our website, kkf5.org support. Thanks for supporting Kansas City Community Radio. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week 
by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? The birds they sang at the break of day start again I seem to hear them say do not dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be yeah the war Never free Ring a bell That still Can ring Forget your Thank you.